I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Magic. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the very often requested but inaugural episode of Knowles 24-7 presents their first ever basketball dedicated podcast, Three and Knee. I am your host, Trey Rowland. But let's cut to the chase. Nobody gives a crap what I say about this subject because this is a platform. This is a vehicle for the man who bleeds garnet and gold basketball. But Brendan never lets him talk about it enough. No more. On three and knee, the stars, my colleague, my friend, Christopher Knee. Chris, the people have been asking for this basketball-centric podcast for forever. Why now? And are you ready to roll? Oh, it's funny. The the year that the pandemic wiped out at the end, whenever going to tournament, you know, the playing clumps in the ACC tournament, I had plans of doing some centralized around the tournament then. And then that got wiped out. The next year was weird because it's just how scheduling had to be done and teams were available. So I didn't feel like diving into the pool there. Thought about it last year. Last year never really got going very well for them as a basketball team, disappointingly. So mm-hmm. I just didn't do it. But I, I like talking hoops. You know, there's enough of a niche audience now at FSU for hoops. It's very dedicated to the sport with him entering his blackjack year that I feel like it's just it's the right time to do it. I think so. And it'll be good because you've got all the knowledge, all of the information for the diehards. And then, Chris, I'll I'll be honest with you. I know I sound like a billion bucks on the microphone. I sound like I know what I'm talking about. When it comes to basketball, I'm just a common dumbass. I'm a neophyte. So I think that this is going to be a great vehicle to talk about that dedicated new blood fan base that knows exactly what they're looking at. But also for you guys that want to get into the sport, I think this will be a great jumping in point because I will kind of be your avatar because I'm going to ask plenty of stupid questions. Chris may gnash his teeth a little bit, but he's such a gentleman that I think he'll deal with it. So we're doing our first, we're going to do our 2022-2023 season preview. We're going to talk about everything that we expect from this team. A lot, a lot of Florida State basketball actually in the news right now. So we'll get to that as far as what's going on with Baba Miller. But let's talk about what happened last year to give us uh, some context before we go down the schedule, before we go down the roster and what we expect. Florida State, like you said, they did have a disappointing year, especially from the standards that Leonard Hamilton has set over the past couple. They went 17 and 14. 10 and 10 in conference did not make either the NCAA tournament or the NIT. And it was a year of a year of like ups and downs, Chris, the wins were clustered a couple against Miami, one against Duke. And then there was just a mid, I think it was a six game consecutive losing streak right in the middle of the season that just kind of downed anything. So what was the story on last year's team? And do you think that some of those doldrums are going to carry over into this year? Well, I think the, Best number, the best stat that kind of defines what last year was in the disappointing fashion of how that season played out. Only three players for FSU played all 31 games last year. It's just kind of crazy when you think about it. Uh, Raekwon Evans, starting point guard for them last year. He had, you know, death in the family, injuries, just kind of sidelined him. He was clutch when he was available. Anthony Pulai, I believe, missed seven games because of injury. You know, Malik Osborne was not himself down the stretch last year with the injury. He just, he, it, it stunk to watch a guy who's full-born effort 
like a Malik Osborne, a guy who just kind of brings it, high energy, good around the boards, and he couldn't do any of it. He just didn't have to lift with his feet, could not do that. You know, you had Tenor Ingham, who's sort of a, a, you know, he started a lot at center, but in reality, he was kind of just a, a seven-foot body that you ran out there as you were trying to kind of throw phases out there. Last year had a lot of issues. Injuries was the first issue for them. Is It just so rarely actually had their entire unit together. Right. Where you felt like they were kind of meshing and figuring things out. You had some young guys who struggled. Jalen Worley never really found his footing. You know, he's a reserve point guard. The best game he played was in the Duke blowout where he kind of got going and uh, played well. Or, yeah. And, uh, you know, Caleb Mills, big piece of the puzzle for them last year. He gets hurt. UNC game. Not very good down the stretch from the rest of the year because of that. Just too much of that stuff piled up. A guy like Wyatt Wilkes never took the next step, for example. You know, and it, it was painful. A guy like Harrison Prieto, who sadly no longer with the club because he finally graduates, living the big boy life now. Harry had to play Harrison. a lot. He had to play a lot because they simply were so shorthanded at times that they needed a veteran guy on the court who understood what they were trying to do conceptually on both ends of the court and could do it at a high level, and that's what he did. But, like, Harrison should not be playing ACC basketball. And that, I'm not trying to knock him. He, no, he of was a not. phenomenal walk-on who made FSU a very good program for many years and is a massive reason why they had the success they had preceding last year. But that kind of spoke to last year. Just It went off the reels. It, I remember the Syracuse game. They lost by, I think it was 39 in the ACC tournament up there in Brooklyn. Yeah. And it was sort of like, you know, they went 500 in conference. So you're like, oh, if they make a run in the tournament, maybe they somehow sneak in. But it almost felt like the way that game played out, when they lost, you knew it was all over. It, it was almost like a, a relief almost that it was over. I mean, it was disappointing. But I think a lot of us had understood for four or six weeks before that point that like it just wasn't in the cards for them last year. Now, do I think that carries over to this year? Uh, disappointingly, some of the injury element already has. But, you know, the team's very, very different. You had a great deal of uh, departures, and then you have a whole lot of new faces this year. So I don't think it's going to be much where we're going to be talking about carryover from year to year. Gotcha. It's almost it's it's almost nice that what they went through, there was a sense of finality in that tournament because they can turn a new page, a new leaf, uh, and, and, and get back to the successful Florida State basketball that we've seen under Litter and Hamilton. Chris, do you want to talk about the schedule first, or do you want to talk about the roster composition and some of the new names that you were talking about? I, I think we'll jump into the schedule first. I think okay. the schedule, you know, players are going to be what it's going to be, but schedule is kind of an interesting deal. So okay. they open, obviously, tomorrow evening, Monday evening at 7 p.m. They host Stetson. They open the season with an interesting, it's a Monday, Friday, Monday, Friday, Monday stretch of five games. In that stretch, they start with Stetson. They go to UCF, which is a return visit from two years ago when UCF came up here and beat FSU. The two Ooh. teams were actually supposed to meet last year, but COVID wiped it out. Revenge. Revenge. We like that. Game. I can understand uh, they, revenge. They host Troy basically a tune-up, warm-up kind of game. Uh, Florida comes to town, new coach there with Coach Golden now in Gainesville, Florida, obviously beat FSU last year, ending FSU's successful streak against them that ran several years. I don't know, truthfully, at this point, what the heck to expect of Florida. They're one of those ball clubs that I'm looking forward to seeing a game or two of theirs before FSU and them meet because they just have a whole lot of new faces, a new system, a new coach. It's so much new there that it's very tough to forecast who and what they're going to be. Um, I think they're going to be drastically different when they, from what they've been in recent years. Mercer's also in that warm-up stretch for them. 
So uh, UCF, Florida, to a degree, are going to be kind of early measuring sticks, name opponents, capable teams. Uh, you know, UCF and them have some recent history, and obviously FSU now has a player who was recently on UCF's roster and Darren Green, who we'll talk about a little bit later. And then, like I mentioned with Florida, it's a rivalry game. It always matters. It's always a interesting early season contest because a lot of years – what we see of those two teams in November, they're usually pretty drastically different when they get into their conference schedule. Um, but yeah, they have that. And then they roll into the ESPN events, which is the Thanksgiving tournament they're in. They open that up with Siena. Then they'll play either an Ole Miss or Stanford. And then the other side of the bracket has uh, Memphis, Seton Hall, Nebraska, and I believe it's Oklahoma or the other four teams. Yep. So there's a decent chance that they'll get a challenge or two in that again kind of ramping it up, seeing a little bit more what they're going to be about, what they're going to be doing. And they wrap up the month with Purdue and the ACC Big Ten Challenge coming to Tallahassee. Now, for go ahead. What do you think about that non-conference schedule? Are you are you a proponent of a very challenging non-conference schedule? Do you like the way that Florida State kind of kind of eases into it until they in, until they play their rival? A couple of games in that tournament, which he said will be nice, like tests, but no like powerhouse teams. And then they play Purdue for the nine hundred and fifty seventh time in a row. It seems like in that challenge, we could mix it up a little bit, guys. I wouldn't mind. But are you a fan of tough non-conference schedules, like in general? And what do you what do you make of Florida State's? I think your non-conference schedule should fit the team you kind of have. And with FSU having so much turnover and a lot of new faces and a lot of unknown with this team, I think a schedule that's a little bit more middle of the road with a couple challenges mixed in makes sense for them. You you play 20 ACC games. Right. Consistently one to two to three best conferences in college basketball every year and sometimes the best in college basketball. You don't need to go and seek out a handful of opponents at a conference that are probably going to be drastically better than you just to try to prove something. Because if you win enough in the ACC and you handle your business in the non-conference, you're going to be dancing. But the ACC is going to carry the weight for you. And I think that's where FSU is. And I've always been kind of comfortable with how Stan Jones, who does a lot of scheduling for them, how he goes about kind of handling that. You know, FSU doesn't always get to pick their ACC Big Ten Challenge opponent. That's kind of chosen by the two leagues and how they – set the TV event up. And then FSU tries to get an in-season tournament in November consistently. That's usually in the state. One, they're not in a rush to go to Maui. They're not in a rush to go to Puerto Rico. I would love if they would. Uh, you know, I'd be using <laughs> that 247 piggy bank and going, dibs, that's baby, not what dibs Leonard wants to do. <laughs> Leonard wants to stay kind of closer to home, but give the guys an experience of going on the road, having a mix of opponents, you know, where you probably have one that's kind of a, to a degree, a give me. And then you might have a, one that's challenging, one that might be a big step up. But we've seen in recent years that as they schedule, it usually kind of corresponds to what they expect of that team, especially what they think that team can be out of the gate. And, uh, you know, there was a year they played like Villanova, for example, in Orlando in one of those tournaments. And they right. felt like they had a good team that could compete with a team of that caliber under Jay Wright's guidance. So I think they've done a good job historically of kind of reading the room and understanding it. Now, the problem with uh, non-conference scheduling is – it's always a prediction of opponents. There was a year many moons ago where they missed the NCAA tournament because they played a very weak non-conference schedule. But when they scheduled, I believe it was Nebraska on said schedule, like two years prior, Nebraska was a program that appeared to be improving. It was going to be at least middling to decent, and they ended up being quite awful. So it kind of weighed them down. So it's sometimes it's a bit of a uh, gamble with how you handle scheduling. But, like, you know, FSU is always going to play down there in Sunrise, Florida. They're playing St. John's in December. 
in the non-conference schedule in the Orange Bowl Classic. That's a normal game that they yeah, always do. Yep. They have the tournament in November. That's usually, you know, either in Orlando or they were over in Destin a few years ago. Jacksonville, I believe, if I recall correctly, was last year. Um, so, you know, they stay regional. They stay consistent with that. And then they usually have to mix up a few in-state teams, a, a Stetson, a UNF, obviously Florida, that they throw in there as a non-conference. And UCF is in there this year, for example. And then they got a couple teams that are, you know, kind of slappy types. Troy, I think, falls in that. USC <laughs> Upstate falls into that that they play in December that are a bit more uh, not nights you can take off, but nights that hopefully you don't have to have your best stuff to come away with a W. So uh, I don't really complain about their non-conference schedule, especially now with playing the 20 ACC games and the fact that, I mean, FSU is playing four ACC games in December. It's the first time ever, I believe, that they've played four in December this coming year. So, like, the challenge is going to come plenty soon, and you're going to have to be ready. So, to me, November is about kind of having a mix of teams that will challenge you versus teams that hopefully you can figure some of your stuff out with to prepare you for when you roll into the conference schedule. Because at the end of the day, what you do in the conference is probably going to be what punches your ticket for you when you're in a conference like the ACC. I'm with you, man. Like you said, take care of your business in the conference, mix it in. I think it's a manage just from looking at it. I do think it's manageable. And of course the name of the game with Florida state is they usually do have a lot of depth. It's just kind of figuring out which of those lineups gel together. And there is a lot of mixing and matching at the beginning of the year. So I think it's good with a couple of those, uh, those slappies that we, we throw in there. I like that. A couple jobbers, a couple ham and eggers. That was good. I haven't heard slappy in a while. I, I chuckled silently through my microphone. That was good stuff, my man. So we're talking about the conference schedule. Let's get right into it, right? So, we like you said, four of those games in December. Who, who does Florida mm-hmm. State open it up within the conference, and what is your take on the ACC in general? Is it going to be a typical powerhouse year, or are the dynamics shifting a little bit? What do you think of the schedule and uh, the conference as a whole? Well, the December portion of the ACC schedule opens with at UVA, and then they have Louisville and Notre Dame here, and they wrap the month by going to Duke on New Year's Eve. Ouch! So, they bookend it with what I think will be two of the top three teams in the league, more than likely, with UVA and Duke. And UNC is the other team that I would lump into that trio. You know, Mike Bray, Notre Dame teams are usually tough. We'll see how good of a club he's got this year. I know he's replacing some big pieces. I think Louisville is going to be, for what they historically are, pretty bad, pretty putrid. Yeah. Um, I believe they lost an exhibition here recently to a pretty lowly opponent. Like Lenoir um, Ryan sign. or something, yeah. some yeah. fake name. Yeah, that's not even real. So not a good sign for them. Um, And, you know, we'll get to it later about the Miller situation, but FSC is going to be navigating that first month of December without him. They don't get him until they play Wake Forest on January 11th. That's their sixth ACC game. So they're going to have to figure some things out against decent caliber opponents because they have Georgia Tech there to open January before the Wake Forest game where they got to figure it out. The rest of the ACC schedule, so you have, you know, they set it up because you're playing 20. So you have – what is it? Six teams. Yeah, six teams that you play twice. So FSU has Clemson, Miami, which are normal opponents for them. Louisville, Notre Dame, Pitt, and Virginia, where they play home and away. They get okay. Austin College, Georgia Tech, North Carolina, and Syracuse here in Tallahassee for one meeting. And then they go to Duke, NC State, Virginia Tech, Wake Forest for one meeting. Um, you know, Wake's going to be good. I think Steve Forbes is a really good coach. I think he's starting to really uh, cement his feet there with what he's trying to do. They are in a bit of a transition from a roster standpoint. Okay. Uh, you know, they were a little ahead of schedule because he found a couple guys that did it effectively. Virginia Tech usually has got shooters. That's kind of team that, you know, if they're having a hot night, they're kind of a tough out, so they're a toughie. 
I, I don't think a whole lot of NC State, you know, they're a team that feels like a little bit in transition. Transition. Syracuse, I'm expecting kind of status quo for what they've been in recent years, which is they can beat you. That zone can cause issues for FSU historically. UNC, as I mentioned, I think it's very good. You luckily only get them once and get them at your home. So, you know, maybe a little uh, tuck magic can happen there. BC should be one that you should feel optimistic. FSU is a better team than same with Georgia Tech. Uh, With the ones that they play twice, Clemson getting them twice, always nice. Uh, Brad Brunel's program is just what it is. You know, yeah. it's very established there. He wins enough to keep his job, but they're not a threat. And P.J. Hall is also their best player is uh, coming off an injury, so that's kind of a big factor for them. Miami, I think, is a pretty good team. I think Miami is a team that can compete in the upper echelon of the conference. Laranega has kind of assembled a nice group there. Wong's a bucket getter. Pack, who came from K-State, is a talented kid that they invested in. And then uh, the big man from Arkansas State who spent some time down there in high school that FSU actually was in a bit on in the transfer portal. He should help them with having an interior presence, something they kind of lacked at times last year. They're not super deep. Miami traditionally hasn't been under the Laranaga, but their starting five should be pretty dang good. Um, so I think the conference is good at the top. You know, Duke, UNC, Virginia, I think are the three that probably will buy for those top three spots. I think there's a healthy amount of teams kind of smack in the middle, FSU included in that group. Virginia Tech, because of the system, Wake Forest, because of what he's doing there. I would throw in there FSU, obviously. And then I think there's Notre Dame's that I want. I think Brazy. Very yeah, in the mix, yep. Um, Miami, as I mentioned, I think it's a team. I think Miami's the kind of team that can contend in the middle and maybe even compete at the top. I think they're one of those that, you know, they can make that lower team in the ACC sometimes makes it to the top any given year. And then I, I don't think much of Pitt, Georgia Tech, uh, BC, Syracuse is, you know, more towards the middle than the bottom, but they're more kind of in between those two to me. Uh, Louisville, as we mentioned, I think is going to have a pretty low year. So the league's not a, a juggernaut pay to it. Um, there is very tough games at the top, and FSU plays one of those teams twice in UVA, and then they get the other one, one home, one away. So we'll see. That's four games where I would think FSU is probably not favored in any of them, but if they go 500 in that, you feel a lot better about what they can be. Um, but, yeah, it, it's a tough challenge. FSU's game with uh, Wake Forest will be an interesting one because that is obviously when the roster should look more like what it will look like for back 16 compared right. to the front 16 with Miller returning. So I'm interested if they can weather that first five-game ACC stretch before that, you know, say three and two, four and one, something like that, feel a lot better about what I expect. But if they come out of the ACC gate and it's a struggle, you know, Virginia takes it to them and Duke takes it to them at the end of the month and they drop one of the other three in that mix, it's a little concerning. And I, I'll admittedly just say I am concerned about this team because of the fact that they will not have Miller, uh, both in the sense of him getting his feet wet and also just he's super talented. He's a stat getter. He's a guy that can fill up the stat sheet. And then Jalen Ganey who we haven't mentioned yet, the Brown transfer, the big man, hurt his knee in preseason camp, done for the year. That really Oof. changed his dynamics of what they were going to be on the interior. Ganey's a very mature, athletic, veteran basketball. I think he would have brought a very good defensive presence, been a good rebounder, a good uh, cleanup man around the rim, and now they miss that. So their interior presence with loss of a 6'11 Miller, who's more of a face-up forward type, but can give you some post presence, and Ganey, who's wholeheartedly a post, it really changes the dynamic of the team. And it's disappointing because something they set out to do after last season with some of the disappointment was improve on the interior. So they went and got Ganey. 
And, you know, having a guy like Miller, who's Miller's probably got the biggest ceiling on FSC. Absolutely. Extremely talented. Right. So losing that for 16 games is disappointing. That kid's going to be not the high level skiers being in the Real Madrid program, but he's going to be thrown in the fire of ACC basketball. I mean, his first game is Wake Forest and, well, they're going to go after him. And it's going to just be interesting because he's not going to have the ramp-up period that he would have had if he was with the team throughout November and into that December, the kind of slow build to it. He's going to be thrown straight into the fire now yeah. to play 16 straight ACC games. It's just unfair to the kid, and it's unfair to the program. So, like you said, the conference, it seems like the top and the bottom are fully established. There's a lot of movement potentially in the middle, which, like you said, if Florida State doesn't take advantage of it, they could see themselves on the losing end of another disappointing season. However, it's very opportunistic, right? There is no established middle of that pack in order, so there is room for Florida State to climb up. I, we've talked about the – I, I want to get more into the – I want to get more into the roster, the players. We talked about Baba Miller a lot, and I, I know that we on the on the notes we wanted to talk about all the returning guys. Let's just get the Baba Miller situation. You mentioned him a lot. Uh, extremely talented, a kid that Gonzaga was in on. Florida State yep. wins that recruitment. Talented prospect from Spain. The NCAA's decision sucks, right? I mean, I'll just I'll let you go off and say whatever you want to say about it before we like Florida State needs to navigate the month of December, those first sixteen games. But it it seems from pretty much everybody that the decision was terrible, especially with all the details surrounding it. So let me, let me hear what you think. It might be a little bit too harsh. I don't think anybody's ever too no, harsh on the NCAA. It's, it's really dumb, man. Dickie V's fired up about it. So Miller was the addition that FSU went and got when John Butler decided to stick to the NBA, uh, when he decided he was going to definitely go through the draft process. So FSU had Miller kind of waiting in the wings as a guy they were going to pursue. Them and Gonzaga beat out Gonzaga. It comes to light during the admission process, essentially, that international kids have to go through that in his younger years, before he was a college basketball prospect, he had accepted a little over $3,000 essentially in benefits in the sense of travel and board and food to come and train in the U.S. and go back to Spain. He came over, trained, and went back. That comes to light. So, you know, they're aware of that. They pay that money back. It's a very low sum of money. It's, from what I understand, it's a little over 3000 bucks, between 3000 3500 Yeah, just a trip, tripping back, yeah. Yeah, so that's paid back, but the NCAA rules that he's at one point he was going to be suspended the entire year. They ultimately rule he's suspended for 50% of the season, 16 games. FSU appeals, that appeal was denied a couple Fridays ago. That's when the announcement came out officially that he was suspended for half of the year. In this day and age of college athletics, where amateur is a stupid term because it doesn't really exist anymore, <laughs> it so is true. completely absurd that a young man who was an international basketball player is being punished for something he did as an international basketball player. FSU did not create that trip for him. Gonzaga did not create that trip for him. That was not a college enticement type of trip. It was not something that was being done to lure a kid to campus. It wasn't something that was being done that was rogue or anything like that. He came to play hoops in the U.S. for a little while and trained and went back to his home country. That's what that was. And he's got to miss half of his basketball season. And he's a kid who has NBA aspirations and they're legitimate and he's good and he's talented. And it's just absurd because schools are allowed to, by NIL standards, basically go and purchase players for their roster now at much higher sums than 3000 bucks. So the fact that a kid's losing 16 games and damn near lost 32, it's dumb. I mean, it's just, the I, I wish 
I've covered Leonard Hamilton long enough to know that Leonard Hamilton is not one to get irate and out of control with no. when he's going to talk about something. He's extremely measured, and that's a good thing. Uh, but, like, it, it, he brought it up. Essentially, the rules – he wishes that international kids understood the rules better and were more well-versed in it longer into their process, you know, years in advance, where if it comes about where they might play ball in the U.S., then, like, they haven't put themselves in a situation like this. He wishes that was true, and that's all well and good. The other thing is – and he's right, and it's – I mean, it's common sense. These rules are so outdated that we're enforcing here. It's archaic. And what – and what the environment now is. It just doesn't fit. It's, it's idiotic in this environment that we're punishing this kid for something that minimal. And I know I care about it more because it's an FSU kid. It's also a kid I like who I think is a heck of a basketball player. I was looking forward to watching play. But, like, I would find it pretty damn stupid no matter where the kid was going. Like, it's just – it's it doesn't fit the current narrative of college athletics. And I don't know. I, I, I hate I, it for him. I would – you know – I don't think there's much that can be done. I, I outside of him getting an injunction that allows him to play immediately, anything he does legally is probably going to take so long that the 16 games is still going to happen. I don't think the ACC is going to allow the kid to just go play. Like I don't think they're going to allow FSU to say, you know, buck that he's going to go play. I don't think that's what's going to happen. So it's going to stink, but I think he's going to sit out 16 games, and it's absurd. And I appreciate that guy like Dickie B, and I know Jeff Goodman has as well. And Jay Billis, Jay that, Billis too. Yeah, Billis is yep. another one. People that cover this program on this beat have been vocal about it. But, like, at the end of the day, I don't think it's changing. And it's absurd, and it's done the kid dirty, and it hurts FSU. It really puts them in a bad situation because it thins the roster. You know, FSU traditionally is a 9-13 to man rotation anywhere in that window. And this year, right now, it's going to be tough for them to get to 9 because of an injury to Jalen Ganey, because of what's happened with Miller a couple other guys that are kind of behind the eight ball right now because of being banged up. Uh, you know, Deontay Green, who's a freshman, is probably going to redshirt coming off an ACL injury. You know, Leonard doesn't sound like he's in any rush to force him out there because his one year removed from the injury is going to be January. And again, if you run a freshman, especially a freshman who's coming out of high school and not the international game like Miller, out there in mid-January against the ACC, you're asking a, grind. a whole heck of a lot for a kid. Yeah. So it's unfair to him. You know, Jeremiah Bambry has been banged up in the preseason. He's a guard, and he probably needs time anyways just because the game's not, you know, where it needs to be. He's more of a developmental-type kid. Chandler Jackson, who is a kid who I think can help him, a freshman guard, I think he can definitely give him depth at the point guard position behind Jalen Morley. He's dealt with a hand-thumb injury. It's uh, He's been unable to do much with a ball most of the preseason uh, so that, you know, it's disappointing. they're just walking into a season where it feels like kind of where they were in the middle of last season. And it's just disappointing. And the Miller thing is something that's not an injury, not, you know, something that just happened. It's the NCAA making a decision that's handicapping FSU. Yeah, it's 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 absolutely rough. And it's it's it becomes immediately more enraging when you see some of the some of the NCAA punishments, I'm doing the quote fingers for audio listeners, that are given to programs that are known absolutely egregious, like kind of cheaters yeah. on this. You know that you, you know the programs that we're talking about, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah listen. Louisville in the recent, like last week, obviously got their rolling handed down for some of the stuff Kansas, they were involved in. Some Kansas I mean, crap. Louisville has a documentary on HBO about FBI, FBI wiretaps and like, yeah. Uh, Kansas Bill Self handing something down on himself, essentially. It, it, and, you know, 
whatever it's wild west out there like i'm not judging right. those schools of course not. i just find it absurd that those schools essentially like obviously no players being punished i don't know that players need to be punished in those cases but the schools in general aren't really getting punished all that hard either outside of maybe an individual who was just so heavily implicated there was no way out of it but you just feel like it's so light on those guys and meanwhile you got a freshman who did something before he was a college basketball prospect and he can't play for six games. And paid it and back. Paid rest yeah. paid back full restitution. So it's just there was me, no maliciousness to what he no. did. And yet he's being punished as though somebody was on the uh, you know, down low trying to buy a kid into a college game. And that's not what it was. It's gross, dude. And it, it's the it's the death throes of an organization that really has very little and continuing to dwindle influence in football. They control the tournament, so let's flex our muscles and, and do these dumb punishments in basketball. It sucks. And to borrow a phrase from the great Chael P. Sonnen, NCAA, you absolutely suck. So let's talk about some not suckage. Let's talk about some of those guys. And we've mentioned them kind of scattershot throughout. But the main mm-hmm. returners, uh, we've got Caleb Mills. He's coming back. Yep. He was the leading scorer, 12.7 points per game a season ago. Matthew Cleveland's coming back. Uh, Jalen War, you, you mentioned him. Cam Fletcher, Naheem McLeod, I believe that he was hurt last year. What do you yeah. think of that starting core nucleus of guys that are coming back? And it just it sounds like it's been the offseason from hell. So hopefully some of those guys have managed to stay healthy and develop. Yeah, that group that you just mentioned has been healthy. Uh, Mills is a guy who just needs to take the next step. You know, he was a heck of a player when he transferred in here from Houston. He's a guy capable of getting a lot of buckets. He just needs to be that consistently night in, night out. I think Mills also has somebody has on this team has to step up into the role of when they got to have it, he's a guy they can go to. And I don't know who that is right now. Mills is a candidate to be that because he is a guy capable of creating his own shot and scoring from pretty much anywhere on the floor. So I think it's pretty important with Matt Cleveland, you know, very highly regarded freshman when he walked in the door last year, ultra athletic kid, good creator. He can get to the room. He can finish. Issue for Matt is last year he couldn't shoot 17.6 from the perimeter percentage-wise. It was just bad. He's tried to work on that. I'm still not confident in that perimeter shot for him. I Uh do think he's improved as a free throw shooter. He shot about 55% last year from line. I do think we'll see an uptick in that. That's a positive, especially because of his ability to get to the rim and create contact and get himself sent to the line for some cheapies. Uh, Jalen Morley is going to have to step in that role that's vacated by Raquan Evans' departure being the lead point guard. He's got that, you know, two to one assist to turnover ratio last year. It's good. He's got to build on that. 3.7 points per game was pretty lowly, kind of disappointing. He at times seemed sheepish when it came to looking for his own shot or being aggressive with the ball. He's got to get out of that. Like he's got to be a guy who's willing to call his own number when it has to be called, when the possession's getting to that point where it has to be. FSU can't be playing five on four basketball out there on the offensive end because Jalen Morley's not going to shoot. He's just going to rotate around the top. It can't be that. That can't be allowed from him. Um, Naheem McLeod, biggest thing with Naheem, I think he's a guy they feel confident is ready to take another step. He can't get in foul trouble, which has been a consistent issue. He has to be able to play more minutes. He only played about 11 minutes per game last year. He started playing better a couple of starts in a row, started putting it together, and then he hurts his hand at Clemson, and that kind of set him back. Again, another example of last year where an injury just kind of you know, was a shot to the heart when they didn't need it. And then Cam Fletcher, I would describe as the X Factor wildcard guy. I know anybody that watches the, the basketball team, they tend to like Cam Fletcher. And I fall in that boat too because he's a heck of a lot of energy. He's tenacious. He'll talk some, you know, what with opposing players when oh, he's yeah. going after him. He'll let them know if he's draining one on them in the corner. 
6.8 points per game, 3.4 rebounds per game last year. Those numbers would have to inflate. With FSU having some interior depth issues, I think Fletcher's a guy you can almost play as like a stretch. He's not even really a four, but like a stretch four. In this, in this, in this team, he might be, right? He's willing to be aggressive. He's willing to be physical. So if the game is being called a certain way, there are things he can do to give you some help in the post, especially on the defensive end. And he's got enough athleticism where he can bounce up, block some shots, change some shots. And FSU last year was not very good at altering shots in the lane, altering shots in the rim. They got to be better at that. And now they got to look at some unique options because outside of Naheem McLeod, they don't really have a returning experienced player in the post. Um, do you, before we talk about some of the newcomers, the, the the interior just decimation that you're talking about, the injury to Jalen Ganey, and then, of course, all the myriad of other things we've listed, do you think it's going to change how Leonard Hamilton, like the type of system that he's going to run? Is there like a year that might be analogous to what we might see, like on the court in 2022? I mean, like, there's just no big guys, man. What, what are they going to do? Leonard's dropping some not so subtle hints that they're going to probably play some four guard basketball. And they've done Ooh. that in the past, but that right now that's what the roster might demand. And you know, that's why a guy like Fletcher has come up as potentially doing some post work. Cam Corhan, who's a freshman, Cameron Corn from Texas, mm-hmm. he's 6'10, 225. They kind of looked at him as like a high four guy, a guy who right. could be a little more pick and pop. But because of the issues on the interior, they'll probably have to use him down low. And he's he's athletic, he's willing to be physical. But again, true freshman jumping into the fire, it's a lot to ask for them to do that, but he's going to have to. He's going to be, when they have to have a true big, in quotation, body on the interior, he is a guy they're probably going to have to dial up and give a chance. The thing with him, it's just going to be interesting to see how quickly he's able to acclimate to it, how he's able to handle it. So often with bigs, a big issue is, no pun intended, is foul trouble. And, uh, you know, for a freshman, sometimes you get in those games and a dude who's played this game for six years and looks like a YMCA player knows how to bait you into a stupid foul. And suddenly you got two and we all know the role is two in the first half. You're sitting down. So that's <laughs> do one you like that? Do you like no, that? God, just, I hate it. I hate it with okay. passion, but I'm not expecting it to change. anything. OK, I just want to get that out there on the record. I live with the reality. I, I've been married long <laughs> enough to know that rules don't change. It's just it is what it is. So like Leonard okay, ain't changing. Good. All right, um, all right. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. They're going to have to get a little creative, I think, um, especially teams that have the capability of throwing a couple big bodies on the interior in there on them. they got to be a better interior defense team than they were last year. they got to be a more effective rebounding team. And I know so often we, we lump rebounding into, oh, big body on the inside grabbing boards. No, your guards are allowed to go get boards. FSU's had some very good rebounding guards historically as a big guard university. And they got to have that this year. They got to have guys that are willing to kind of go after it on the interior and go grab one and extend possession or at least challenge and slow down the opposing team so they're not getting it, gunning it, and getting down the court, you know, without dribbling the ball. They can't have that. They're they're not deep enough to play that kind of basketball, and it's just not a good brand of basketball to play. So the interior situation is going to be a very interesting storyline to me early in the season. Uh, you know, I, I need to study the rosters or playing a bit more. I'm sure Purdue probably has a big body that's going to challenge eight them. foot tall missing link yeah. dude from like Liechtenstein. Just that guy, the, the, the Purdue bigs that have been coming out over the years. Yeah. It's comical at this point. I'm sure they've got some other one that they've like that they've stacked away that they've been growing in a lab somewhere like a winter soldier. One would think Florida probably has somebody capable yeah. in the interior. You know, so they'll have a couple examples there in the early schedule. We'll probably see a little bit more of how they're going to try to navigate that and handle that. 
Um, how do they make up for the shortcomings they have, the things yes. that are going to be deficiencies? I think that starts with getting Darren outside of the guys that we talked about that are returning players. I think yep. new phases. I think it starts with Darren Green, the UCF transfer. Darren Green's a bucket getter, three point shooter, sharp shooter, very, very good from the perimeter. Uh, on the Canadian tour that FSU went on, that was valuable because it did allow a lot of new guys to mesh with one another. He averaged 20.3 points per game, which was most of any summer. Um, he averaged 13.3 at UCF last year. He made 87 three pointers on the season. So, you know, in a 30 game season, it's basically three per game on average. I think he's got to, FSU's got to get eight to 12 shots every night out there. I just think you got to see if he's going to be on, if he's on. He has the capability of scoring in the 20s and could be a real good chance of having a guy that can uh, distance the scoreboard pretty quickly there if he's hit a couple in a row. I just think he's in, insanely important. Chandler Jackson, who I don't expect to play against Stetson, but I don't think he's that far off from his return. I think he's probably the most important freshman outside of Corrin because he's important because he's big. But Jackson's important because he can give relief to Worley. He's kind of a point guard type. Uh, a lot of people in the program really like him, describe him as heady, having some good traits, good qualities, in the sense of just being a guy that's kind of a uh, – I don't want to compare anybody to Trent Forrest because he's a uniquely special guy. But some of the good things Trent Forrest could do for you when you had to have a bucket, when you need somebody to be kind of tough, you need to be somebody kind of steady in. Right. Chandler apparently has some of those traits, which is a good thing. not saying he's Trent Forrest. So let's not yet. Not go tweet that. Okay. No, no, don't, don't, don't quote, don't misquote the three and knee podcast on episode one, but it's like you said, one yeah. of those like the tough basketball smart guys that's going to make, like you said, the heady player, the play that the team needs, kick it out to Darren green. And since we're not going to be getting a lot of consistent baskets on the inside, Florida state's perimeter shooting denial of entry passes. Those are the type of things that we're really going to have to have an emphasis on. However, yeah. I, We'll see if they can do it, but Florida State has has been successful, at least for my dumb eyes. It, it, when, when their teams are good, they're good at creating havoc, right? Deflections, yeah. things of that nature. Yeah. They're just going to have to lean on that more. So it's not something that's totally outside of their toolkit. It's just it's going to be hyperinflated until they get until they get Miller back and McLeod starts to get settled in. And it's it's going to be an interesting team. So is there anybody else that you want to mention on the personnel side before we talk about what your expectations are for this team that are facing some unique challenges? Uh, Tom House, another freshman that I would mention. Yep. He, okay. He's a he's a shooter. Um, good basketball IQ kid. He can fill it up from the perimeter. He's to me, he's the kind of guy that hopefully he can bring off the bench and, you know, in a four-minute stretch can get you a couple good looks from the perimeter and knock him down, help in that sense. You know, the, the biggest thing FSU wants to avoid that, you know, historically in this stretch of the system that they run, you don't want to have those stretches where there's a four-minute lump, you know. Say you're going from 12 minutes to eight minutes in the middle of a half where you're having to play young guys. You're having to run, you know, Chandler, Tom House, Corn. And then maybe two veterans with them out there or Worley and somebody else. You don't want to have those stretches where nobody wants to shoot. Nobody can score where, you know, my God, if they're not playing good defense, there might be an 8-0 run for the opponent. I think yep. Tom House is the kind of guy that when they have to get one up, he's going to be willing to take it. And that's not a bad thing to have. Darren Green sat among those who I expect to start. So, you know, I think that's a nice little one-two punch in the sense of a knockdown three-point shooter. Um, and uh, House has a good IQ when it comes to hoops, and he's a competitive kid. I think there's a lot of good traits there. I think from the freshman standpoint, you know, Jack, it kind of goes Jackson, and then Corn's pretty important because of the reasons we've outlined, and then House. 
I think those are the three that can help you. And then Miller obviously is in that mix, but not for 16 games because of what we talked about. And Miller's probably the most talented of anybody on the roster. Okay. Well, what do we expect? What do you expect from this team, Chris? I mean, maybe like a best case, worst case scenario and where you kind of settle in right now. It's your show. So if you don't even want to kind of give like a prediction, if you want to wait a little bit for some of the data, I'm going to let it. I, I'm going to let the ball in your court on this one, but what are we thinking? What are we thinking about this season so far on the eve of the first game? Well, they, they got to get healthy. They need uh Fletcher's dealing with a little bit of something. Jackson's got to get back where he's playing. They need bodies because they're just not as deep as they usually are. And Leonard Hamilton loves playing that style of having a lot of guys who play to exhaustion. And then you can sub basically like hockey lines is how Leonard Hamilton likes to coach a basketball team. Yeah, That's exactly. How he the roster. They don't have that luxury right now. They got to get back to a point where they have enough bodies to do that. So I think that's important. Another thing I'd point out, and it's not super significant, but they don't have a walk-on group like they've had in recent years. We mentioned uh, Harry earlier. Justin Lidner is another guy who was with the squad last year. They don't have those types. They don't have a walk-on they can throw out there for a four-minute stretch and they can steal some minutes for you. I don't think they got those guys this year. So, again, kind of shorthanded from a, a number standpoint, a minute standpoint. I think for this team to be good, Jalen Worley's got to take the next step. He's got to be an effective point guard who does a good job controlling the ball, but he's also got to be a guy who's willing and capable of being a scorer. you got to get Darren Green shots. Caleb Mills has to take the next step. Naheem McLeod has to take the next step. you got to get something out of Cam Corn on the interior. That's a whole lot of that's six. It's about six right, right there. I can yeah. count to yeah. six. That's so that's a whole things. lot of things you're hoping for. <laughs> Say you split the def- difference, you get about three of them. Hopefully, a couple of them are just getting buckets. Darren Green knocking it down at a pretty good clip. Matt Cleveland's another one that's you know Matt had a horrendous exhibition over nine. Um, hopefully, that just doesn't keep repeating. I think Matt has to figure out what he can do right now from an offensive standpoint and lean into that part of his game. Agreed. I, you know, if you can't hit shots right now, don't take shots. Start from two feet. If you're knocking it down, try from four feet. Work your way back. Don't feel like you got to take jumpers. And when you're a dude who can create and get to the rim yourself, which Matt can. Um, so I'm not overly optimistic with this bunch, but I do want to see him action. I'm concerned about the interior defense, an issue that they had last year. I'm concerned about the rebound, an issue they had last year. The things they tried to go about doing to fix some of those issues have been taken away from them because of the circumstances we mentioned. So I'm a little hesitant. I'm very interested in watching November play out as they play a variety of different teams. Um, You know, and I'm also interested to kind of see how the ACC looks after a month. It's so funny. Most years, if you write down what you expect the ACC to be preseason versus what it becomes, you nail about three at the top and you nail about three at the bottom, but everything else is just a (laughs) mess. So I am interested in that. You know, like who who's going to be the team in the ACC that doesn't nobody expecting comes out of nowhere to compete for the top two or three spots. Um, you know, FSU has been that in recent years. Miami did that in recent years. It'll be interesting who is the one this year. Virginia Tech did that very recently, obviously. So, you know, I, I think they're a team that can be a tournament team. I don't know that I would bet that they will be a tournament team at this point. The The Miller thing really set me back in my expectations because I do think Miller was a guy who was going to consistently help you win games, whether it was by scoring or getting some boards or dishing the ball or just being a matchup nightmare. Six eleven guy who can handle the rock and has a perimeter shot really changed his way to court of space and the way he can do things. When you lose that and you don't have somebody that kind of easily falls in that role, 
it changes your dynamics of, of your club a lot, and it's disappointing. So that bugs me. The fact that he's getting thrown in the fire midway through the year also concerns me just because I wish he had a way to kind of groove into it a bit more. Mm-hmm. So I, I think they'll be good. I think they'll be competitive. If they can play a high level of defense, they can weather the storm. But the defense wasn't up to snuff last year. It's, it's got to improve. And there's a lot of new faces, so maybe it does, but we shall see. Uh, wait and see attitude is what I have with this basketball team. Wait and see here on three and knee guys. That was our first inaugural episode of three and knee. Chris, what do you think it as far as like frequency or something? Is something you want to continue to do is just kind of like a one-off like season preview. No, I, I want to keep doing it. Um, okay. It felt good you know, for I, you then. I think uh, we, we let the early portion of the schedule breathe a little bit. Maybe do one around the Florida game, either right before or right after type of period, especially with the Thanksgiving tournament coming up. I like that. And then, and then, you know, when you get into the meat of the ACC schedule, two, three times a month at least, and once in a blue moon when there's a big, big one coming to town, especially if FSU is playing for something significant down the stretch, then, yeah, I want to keep doing it. I want to keep talking hoops. I think there's enough in the audience. I enjoy it. Uh, I only have so many hours in the day where I can write content, so sometimes it's much easier <laughs> to do it in this version than sitting down and writing it. Uh, even when talking to me, sometimes it is easier than writing an article. Chris, you've got the patience of a saint. We've got some other guys. Kevin Little's a big basketball guy, too, so who knows? We'll try to get the crew together, all the basketball fans. But, guys, we are here for the season. This is not just a flash in the pan, not a one-off, not a one-hit wonder. We are going to be coming back, talking to you on 3 and Knee for basketball. For Chris Knee, the savant, the guru, the man who finally gets to pontificate on this program that he knows so well and loves so much. I'm your humble host, Trey Rowland. Thank you for staying with us, and uh, let's go no. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.